0: From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Um, One
1: of the trees um, had the most matches. There was three matches for that tree, so three needles matched a single tree, and it was the one right over her grave site. No, this is not something I do or really knew about before I started working on it.
0: I'm Elaine Chow. In October 2019, Columbia, Missouri resident Meng Shi Ji went missing. Her disappearance was reported by her husband, Joseph Elledge, two days later, and there was no trace of Ji for a year and a half. But when Elledge was arrested on charges of child abuse, Mengxi and Joe had had a daughter together less than a year before Mengxi vanished. Authorities searched Elledge's apartment. Boone County Prosecuting Attorney Dan Knight had had a hunch Elledge was the culprit behind Ji's disappearance. In a recent 48 Hours episode about this case, Knight described what informed that hunch and what investigators found in Elledge's closet to confirm it.
2: Dan Knight was building a theory of what happened to Shi and items collected about a year and a half earlier were about to become key. For one thing, Joe's cell phone records put him near Monchi's burial site the day he reported her missing. What were the weather conditions like that day? Unfortunately for Joe, but fortunately for justice, it was raining. Dan had those muddy boots and a hunch was about to pay off. As you can see right here, there is soil that is caked onto these boots. Mud and gravel on the soles of Joe's boots were sent out for analysis, along with foliage stuck in the mud. So we've got 12 different types of vegetation in these boots. Dan Knight decided to send Joe's boots to a lab at the Missouri Botanical Garden, where juniper tree needles were carefully removed from the soles for DNA testing.
0: That was Dan Knight, past Boone County prosecuting attorney, speaking about a key discovery in the investigation of Meng Shiji's 2019 disappearance. And here with us in studio to talk about that DNA testing and what those juniper needles pointed to is Christy Edwards, Brower Conservation Genetic- Geneticist at Missouri Botanical Garden. Christy, welcome back to the program. Thank you. What was your first thought when you learned you and your colleagues at Missouri Botanical Garden were being called upon to participate in a criminal investigation?
1: Well, so, I mean, this is not something I hadn't done before. And um, essentially, they were they were asking whether they could bring us these boots for us to look at. I mean, and you know, being a scientist, I was just skeptical. I was like, I don't really know what we could possibly do to help, you know, match these boots to a crime scene. Um, but they said, OK, well, can you just look at them? And so we were like, well, OK,
0: why not? Let's let's just see what's there. And what did looking at them involve?
1: So so, um, so there's a chain of custody Of evidence, and so essentially, the 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 prosecutor Dan Knight and um, his investigator brought the boots. You know, they had them in evidence bags, and they couldn't let them out of their sight. Um, I actually wasn't there at the time, Um, so my I sent uh, my postdoc uh, Alex Lignan to um, go and look at the boots, Um, and he essentially. You know, said that there was just some mud, and the most dominant thing that was in the the mud in the boots was just juniper needles,
0: so those boots that investigators found and then made their way to um, Missouri Botanical Garden the the plant matter you were asked to to look at mm-hmm. was lodged in mud that had been left to dry for quite some time. So I mean, are there minimum requirements, so to speak? for the condition that plant matter has to be in for you to be able to read it with any degree of accuracy?
1: Yeah, so sample preservation is really important in DNA analyses. Um, So we were certainly skeptical whether we would be able to get any usable DNA out of the juniper needles, Um, But we were, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you just have to try it and see. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were just like, well, we'll give it a shot and see if it works.
0: And was there precedent for anything like this at Missouri Botanical Garden?
1: Um, So previous people at the Missouri Botanical Garden have done more um, forensic botany in terms of going out to a site and looking at the species composition. So the kind of the composition of the different plant species and then trying to match it to samples taken from crime scenes and things like that. Okay, so
0: that Mm -hmm. would be like, here's this this plant matter. This is a a leaf, Mm -hmm. and this is the type of leaf it is?
1: Yeah, so essentially going out and saying, well, here we found fragments of six different species in the mud of these boots, for example. Um, in, the, in the the clip you just said they found 12 different species. Mm-hmm. Um, so my colleague, Aaron Floden, looked at the the types of species, the plant species that were in the mud, and then he went back out to the site to see if the species composition, so the same species were found in in the, the site. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the traditional uh, forensic botany, so mm-hmm. just matching species composition. Um, And then we did forensic genetics.
0: Okay, so tell me about forensic genetics and what it is that you do with plant DNA.
1: Um, So so we are a conservation genetics lab in general. Um, And so what we do is we'll take... Uh, samples of plants from the field. Um, We work mostly on plants of conservation concern and we will genotype them and try to understand the genetic diversity. So trying to understand the number of individuals, how diverse they are, how different populations are. Um, And then a lot of times what we'll do is we'll match um, samples to each other. Um, Plants can be clonal. So um, you may have what looks like a whole population Um, And then when you look at their genotypes, you can see that they're genetically identical to each other. So we can say, oh, there's like one individual in the site, even though there's like thousands. So forensic botany, basically, uh, forensic genetics um, relies on that same technology, being able to match individuals to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, So essentially what you can do is you can take a sample that was taken from a crime scene or from a suspect um, and then... You can match it to an individual if, or an individual tree, if if you know there's a good match, like right. in terms of species, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah.
0: I understand that. So the the needles came from the the ground, but there was quite some work involved with getting samples from from the tree under which um Shiji's body was found.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What did that involve?
1: Yeah, so so the samples in the boots, yeah, that came from the ground so he was walking through the mud. Um and so when we so, so when we went out to the site, um we you know it was a juniper grove, you know so that was kind of our first clue that this was potentially it could we could find some matching individuals. Um but so we wanted to be able to match um, the DNA to specific trees. Um, and so what we wanted to do was make sure that we could yeah, get DNA from specific trees. Um, but these were junipers and they were, you know, 30, 40 feet tall. Um, and so um, my colleague and I, you know, we had a we had a ladder and we had a pole pruner. So we were up on the ladder. Uh, Alex Lignon was up on the ladder and then he had the pole pruner that's like 15 feet tall, trying to get a sample off of each individual tree in the site. Um and essentially what we did is we um ran a transect so essentially we drew like ran a line through the the site um and then mapped every single individual using that transect so you know how far away it is from the line how far away it is along the line so that we knew exactly which tree we were sampling from so that if we did find a match we could say oh, it came from tree 132 or, you know,
0: whatever. And how um, many trees were there? You said 132? How many? Well, you
1: actually, there was, um, in the site, um, we mapped, I think, two, 120, somewhere in that range. Um, but we were only only able to get samples from, I think, like 100, right around 100, um, just because some of them were so tall that we just could not get needles off of them.
0: Okay. Yeah. So quite a lot of work, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you, you get these samples down, then you take them back to the lab take us back to when you went to analyze mm-hmm. what you had gotten from the trees and compared them with what you took from the boots
1: okay so um we used a technology called microsatellites it's a it's essentially the same technology that they use to genotype humans for forensics cases And um, for microsatellites, you have to have um, essentially, it's essentially a species-specific DNA region. And usually these are things that are developed by geneticists. And actually, normally, we will develop our own microsatellite markers for genotyping species. In this situation, we didn't have enough time. We had a very tight timeline. Um, So we just went through the literature and looked for other studies that had been previously published that described these microsatellite markers from junipers. Um, So we were able to take those from the literature and test them out on some of the samples that we got, the fresh samples, to see Mm -hmm. if they would work. And fortunately, we were able to get 16 samples to work sufficiently to genotype the samples. Um, And essentially then what we do is we'll grind up the samples and extract the DNA out of them. We'll genotype them at these multiple markers, so 16 genetic markers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then essentially what we do is um, we get this you know, we call it a multi-locus genotype, so it's 16 different um, DNA regions. Um, and then you see if any individuals match each other. Um, and we were looking for exact matches, so anything that had the exact same genotype between a forensic sample taken from the boots and and then the samples taken from the site where uh, Meng Shiji's
0: remains were found. Mm-hmm. What did it feel like when you saw that matching up?
1: Yeah, it was it was pretty exciting. I mean, I, I was so skeptical all along. I was like, you know, are we going to be able to do this in time? <laughs> are are we going to be able to get DNA out of the, the needles from the boots that have been sitting there in a bag for a year and a half? Will the markers work? And, you know, all the stars aligned, and we were able to find these exact matches. We, sound, we found that um five of the juniper needles that we had uh, matched three different trees um, one of the trees um, h- had the most matches there was three matches to that tree so three needles matched a single tree and it was the one right over her gravesite. site mm-hmm. um, so we were just like oh he was there like he he did it you know he buried her so it was it was kind of chilling but also exciting because you know we knew that the information could be used to help convict him.
0: Mm-hmm. And are you aware of other instances in which plant geneticists have participated in criminal cases? Yeah, it, it happens infrequently.
1: So so the first instance was a case in like 1993 in Arizona where um, essentially there was a, a, a murder suspect and they found some seed pods of a tree in the back of his truck um, and the the There was a tree that had been I, I think the the murder suspect had crashed into the tree, and then they had like the
0: the oh it had fallen down into his vehicle, yeah, right.
1: And um, it had fallen down into his vehicle. and then and then there was like a body buried right next to it. Um and so they were able to pin the murder suspect to the site because they essentially compared the seed pods that were in the back of his truck to the tree that he had crashed into. Um, and so that was like the first instance where they had. Um, match, use genetic DNA approaches to um, match uh, samples Mm -hmm. from a killer to a a crime scene.
0: And is that something that you learned about because of your involvement with this investigation? Or is it one of those things that, like in your training and education for what you're doing now, that it is presented as an example of, of uses? No, this is
1: not something I do or really knew about before I started working on it. Um, and so I actually, you know, because people have been asking me how often this is is used, I started trying to look up in the literature and, you know, in kind of popular media. I've only found a few cases where they've actually used genetic genetic evidence to from a plant mm-hmm. to put a killer at a crime scene.
0: So the way that plant science helped this investigation is, frankly, it's pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And it did lead to a conviction, ultimately, right, of Joseph Elledge, who was sentenced to 28 years in prison, ostensibly one year, for each of the 28 that uh, Meng Shi Ji, lived before she was killed. If you were asked to do similar work in the future, what would you be likely to say I don't know.
1: <laughs> you know, it's it was hard working on this case. You know, it's just the whole situation is just so sad. I mean, and it's not something I'm normally used to working with. You know, I'm used to working with endangered plants, not, you know, murder. So it was hard. I mean, I think in the long run we were able to help, help get justice for her family, and so I think that feels good. I'd have to think very carefully about it because it was, like, so emotionally difficult.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Enough. Christine Edwards is a Brower Conservation Geneticist at the Missouri Botanical Garden. A team of scientists at the garden analyzed plant matter that helped identify and ultimately convict a man who killed his wife in Columbia, Missouri in 2019. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr.
2: Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.